Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, the Packers have begun their preparations for the big NFC showdown coming up Sunday night football in San Francisco or Santa Clara, I guess, is where the game's going to be played, but against the San Francisco 49ers. And Matt LaFleur, Packers were back on the practice field for a brief workout on Monday as everybody came back from the break over the bye. Matt LaFleur spoke to reporters, spoke to the media after practice, and he wasn't going to get into a lot of specifics as to what did the self-scout reveal, like what did you guys find out, how are you going to go about fixing things. Of course, he's not going to share all the nitty-gritty details, but he did talk a little bit about each of the three phases of the game for the Packers. I don't think there's any major revelations here, but the Packers, the bottom line is the Packers know what they have to work on heading into this home stretch of the final six regular season games. They do, and I mean, the nice thing for them is they finally have some time to sit back and rest. A lot was made of the fact that they aren't that banged up going into the bye, yeah. and that's true from a perspective of guys not actually you know, missing practice time, but they were still. So to get some bodies a little bit healthier, get that you know week, week and a half of rest and recuperation going into the San Francisco game, this is where I look for Green Bay to put their best foot forward on Sunday. And, you know, even more so, you know, talking to Kenny Clark and some of these guys in the locker room these last two weeks and when we've had availability, they understand where they fit in the grand scheme of things. The defense knows. Tremont Williams talked about it again on Monday. I mean, they have work to do. They are by far, you know, not a finished product yet at this point in the season. They feel like their best ball is still ahead of them. Offensively, you've seen intervals of dominance and you've seen intervals of lulls. They're trying to smooth that out, and special teams certainly, you know, has made some changes even going into the bye, but... Where I stand on this right now is that, you know, all these years, Mike, you go back, and these are the the prime years of Mike McCarthy's tenure, too. The way the Packers have come out of the bye in a lot of seasons has really been an indication of where this team is going to go in the long run. I think there's a stat somewhere around maybe 7-3 and over the last 10 years coming out of the bye week. They need to make those adjustments. There's going to be some unscouted looks, I'm sure of it, on Sunday against San Francisco. And they need to find, you know, some of those galvanizing moments that really make a good team championship caliber. Yeah, well, when you look at things on the offensive side of the ball, I think the thing that uh, that continues to stick in the craw of Matt Lafleur, I guess, if uh, if I'm allowed to use that phrase, is absolutely is the penalties. The I saw a stat this morning. Actually, I unfortunately didn't have it for the story that I posted on the website last night, but I believe the Packers have a total of 25 either false start or delay of yeah. game penalties through the first 10 games of the season. Two and Now, those are only five-yard penalties, but those five-yard penalties, that changes second and three to second and eight yeah. and, and, you know, and gets you in those behind-the-chains types of situations. And to, to be averaging two-and-a-half false start or delay of game penalties on offense through the first 10 games of the season, you can see the op- the opportunity there to become much more efficient offensively, to put yourself in better third down situations if you can just, you know, you're not going to eliminate them completely. They're part of the game. But if you can reduce those, because two and a half per game, 
through 10 weeks, that's a lot. Yeah, the, in the delay of games, that's always a little bit of an altered stat, too, because there's two instances in the last couple games where the Packers have actually taken them to give J.K. Scott a little extra room. True enough. But that being said, yes. you know the specific instances that Aaron Rodgers talks about that he needs to be better in, and Matt LaFleur has discussed in trying to get those calls, and they've had some communication helmet you know, issues, and that's been prevalent, I think, throughout the league, trying to deal with some of those t- things at times. But the one I go back to is the false starts, because... That's the one I felt like going back to Lambeau Field, they would smooth some of those things out. It's a tough environment to be in Los Angeles, and I know it was a very pro-heavy Packers crowd, but there were still a lot of Chargers fans too making their voice heard, and and that's difficult to work through those changes. But you got to be able to shore that up at home. It's unacceptable to have those at home. You need to be able to find answers there. That was a big point of emphasis, and I'm sure as they went through some of the self-scouting and trying to find ways to – you know, maximize their offensive opportunities. That's something they go back to. There was a play against Carolina, and I don't know the exact measurables of it, but I believe it was something along the lines where they had, like, I want to say a nine-yard run by Aaron Jones, and there was a false start. That takes it from being second and one back to second and six. second and six. Or third and one back to third and six. The the percentage change every yard you go back is is huge in this league. And Credit to Green Bay, one of the reasons they are 8-2 and two is they've worked through some of those things. You had the Devontae Adams 34-yard catch on second and you know 26 or whatever it was. You know you can find ways with your playmakers to do that, but you can't live that way, and they need to find those answers. Yeah, I mean, right now, offensively, the Packers are converting, <clears throat> I believe they're at 37.2% on third down. It's in the bottom half of the league. It's it's below the midway point. That's not a horrible number. 37% is not horrible, but you'd like to be you know, once you're in the 40s on your yeah. third down conversions, you're you're in a pretty good spot. I mean, what Matt LaFleur found out as, as he looked at all the numbers, and this is sort of self-fulfilling. I mean, it's it's kind of obvious that you know, third down and seven or less versus third down and eight or more. But he found a really large discrepancy there. I think I think maybe a larger discrepancy than than you would normally find. Right. Because when it's been when it's I believe the number is when it's been third and seven or less or third and six or less, one or the other, the Packers are actually above fifty percent. Yeah. That's pretty darn good. But the problem and the reason they're at 37% overall on their third downs is because they've had way too many of the third and 15s and the third and 12s and the really, really tough spots, which have been a result of either those false start penalties or a holding penalty or a sack on first or second down that that really puts you behind the chains. Those are the things that, you know, it. Matt LaFleur, yes, there are going to be some unscouted looks. They're going to do some new things, I think, against San Francisco. And as we move forward here into December that maybe we haven't seen yet. But Matt LaFleur's goal offensively is just to improve the efficiency. It's not about drawing up a whole bunch of new X's and O's stuff. It's like, what do you do to sharpen things up and become more efficient down the stretch? And that's what they're focused on. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because when you go back into those third and eight pluses or third and twelves, that's where you see in the Packers having to empty it out a little bit more. And credit to Aaron Rodgers, they have found ways to be successful in those intervals, but there's so much more predictability to that yeah. uh, when you have those type of looks. You know more what you're getting. When this offense is at its best, and we've seen it, especially on some of these first series of games this season, it's when they can be multiple, when they can go with bunch formations, when they're able to shift their personnel on any given play, on any given you know possession. Uh, that's where they're going to make their money, and that's where this offense is – Ultimately, if they get on a deep run here into the playoffs, that's where they have to be successful. As as 
great as it is to put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, and he's one of the best in the league when it comes to being able to dictate those situations, you see the Aaron Joneses, you have the Devontae Adams, you need to win those early down situations to make them their most dangerous and that's when this offense is at its peak. Yeah, well, on the defensive side of the ball, we've been talking about it for several weeks. So have the Packers, so has defensive coordinator Mike Pettin. It really has been the explosive plays yeah. allowed that that uh, that's really hurt this defense. I'm not an X's and O's expert. I don't know exactly how you go about fixing this thing. Matt LaFleur has made comments about communication a little bit in terms of not only – getting the right defensive personnel in the field, but then all the pre-snap stuff, making sure everybody has the call, maybe not trying to change the call at the last minute quite so often, which is how certain guys can get out of position. I also think there's maybe a little bit of a balance that Mike Pettin is trying to find in terms of the the aggressiveness to go for the ball because the turnovers are such a big part right. of the game and, and have been such a big part of what this defense has done, but not at the expense of you know risking giving up those 20 and 25-yard pass plays that have really hurt this defense. So I'm just curious your thoughts on, on kind of where things stand with this defense now and and what needs to be done to uh, to cut down on some of those explosive gains. Yeah, it's it's something that I think is probably the the biggest thing that had to be a point of emphasis in the scout scout self scouting process. Right. Easy for me to say. Yeah. Uh, that's the one too where there's so many different things that stitch together that not only can re- result in being able to play cohesive, you know, lockdown defense or having those breakdowns that it's always difficult to pinpoint one specific thing. Yeah. Because I get it from Mike Penn's perspective. You've got a lot of ball hawking players in the secondary. They have a really productive pass rushing combo up front in one of the league's best young nose tackles and Kenny Clark in the middle. So for all intents and purposes, this should be a, a dynamic and impactful defensive unit. But there's been too many of those situations where guys come free for not even just the 75-yard touchdown type pass. I'm talking about the 30, 40-yard passes in the middle of the field, 50 yards here and there. That is the chunk plays that it's difficult to come back from. Fortunately, Green Bay might have one of the top run, you know, red zone defenses in the league right now yeah. that they've been able to survive that. But if offenses start to chip away at you there and you don't find answers that's when you start to see the, the dam break. So, yeah, it's a tough way to live, for so sure. That's where it's it's tough to put a finger on it. And this is the most unique thing. I was I, I was thinking about this last week, and I looked it up just now. Packers are right around that 13th, 14th ranked um, spot right now for scoring defense, yard, you know, points, points allowed, allowed. Which, at the end of the day, you can make an argument that's the most important one of all. But a lot of times it it's not always the same, but it sometimes equates to where you rank in total yards. In this case, it does it. The Packers are 28th right now in total yards per game. The defense is above them in scoring points per game. New England at one, San Francisco at two, Buffalo is three. They're leading both categories. Then it's eight, 15, 14, 18, four, seven, five, 10, six, 12. That's where teams rank in total yards. And then you have Green Bay with 28. At 28, It's yeah. such a strange anomaly. And that's why I, I brought it up on the show before. I get kind of punchy when people talk about this being like the 12 or, you know, 11 defense. I still don't see it like that because while there were breakdowns, teams were also scoring quite a bit too. A lot of shootouts the Packers had to win that season. This hasn't been that case. So it's it's in this in-between. But 
unless you get it corrected the last six weeks of the season, your record, your stats are what you say you are in some regard, and that's why the Packers have to get it cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, there have been certainly been uh, offenses that have put up the the 400-plus yards. You know, the defense that we saw from the Packers in September. Now, granted, that was a Bears offense that's been struggling all year, a Broncos offense that's been struggling all year. So some of that was was the result of, of the opponents. But you can also just, you know, you go by the eye test. The defense doesn't look the same as it did earlier. And, uh, um, you know, those big plays, they kind of started in week two against Minnesota. Then they came back in week five against Dallas when Dallas was way behind and, you know, they started taking these big chunks of the field. And then it's kind of been a problem since then. It's it's uh, it's not something that they've been able to curb. Now, looking at the stats against Carolina, they only allowed, I believe it was only three plays in that game of 20 plus yards. Right. But there were a whole bunch of pass completions that were in that 15 to 19 yard range that Carolina still racked up 400 yards by the end of the game. Yes, the defense obviously made the big stand at the end, and at the end of the day, Carolina only had, what, 16 points on the board, so right. you take that anytime you can, but the Packers know they're, they're in this, they're in this uh, you call it kind of, you know, kind of the middle ground, it's kind of a precarious place to be right. because, of, because of the yards that you've surrendered, because, you know, you get up against teams that are more efficient in the red zone and uh, and are going to punch things in more often for touchdowns, and then suddenly that points allowed number starts to climb. And this is where we're going to learn about a lot about this defense here in the last couple of weeks because, yeah, you mentioned Dallas. Dallas is leading the league right now in total yards of offense. Kansas City is three. I don't want to hear about Matt Moore. They still have explosive playmakers there that can make life difficult. You know, Detroit is eight. Minnesota is nine. Oakland, for as much as has been made about their situation, they're 11th right now in total offense. So they've played good offenses, yeah. productive offenses. Yes. This week is going to be a huge test. San Francisco is as dynamic and as versatile and multiple as teams get. But after that, you got the New York Giants. You have Washington. You have Chicago. You need to lock down in those games. I, the thing I liked about that Carolina game was that, okay, Carolina puts up 400 total yards of offense. The Packers won that game, though, because of their defense. Yeah. Sometimes the yards aren't what matter most, and it sometimes comes down to the points. But when you look at those games beyond this week, I don't care what the total yards are. I don't care what the points are. If the Packers win the game, they accomplish the goal. But going up against New York and Washington and Chicago, you expect them to be able to get on a run there in December because of where those offenses have ranked this season and some of the issues that they've worked through. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, before I forget here, Wes, because I forgot yesterday after the long break, my brain Unacceptable. was elsewhere. But – Select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering, catering, or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you. When you order online at CousinSubs.com, Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, well, you mentioned one of the Packers on the defensive side of the ball that I'd like to talk about a little bit here, and that's defensive tackle Kenny Clark. He's in his fourth season. The statistics so far through 10 games don't really match up as far as the tackles, the sacks, that kind of thing, don't really match up to where he was last year. But uh, we started to see in that Carolina game before the bye, it almost felt like the, uh, you know, I hate to say old because Kenny Clark's not that old. but slightly younger. But, but yeah, but it's sort of like the old Kenny Clark started started to come back. And I've been wondering, I'll be honest with you, Wes, I've been wondering much of the season. Kenny Clark is not a guy who's going to talk about it, but he was on the injury report earlier this year with a calf injury. We saw in the one game he got kicked in the shin. Right. Um, that can't feel too good. I think he's been playing through some things, 
and at the same time having to deal with how offenses are uh, paying a lot more attention to him in terms of in terms of their scheme and how they want to handle him in the middle of the defensive line. But his play really stood out against Carolina, and I'm wondering, okay, maybe is is Kenny Clark's season about to uh, take off here? Yeah, and it was interesting, you know, hearing some of the comments from Jerry Montgomery last week because, in some ways, I think there's in, in talking to Tyler Lancaster about this Monday, I think there's there's narrative that that Kenny Clark in some ways has dropped off. I don't see that. I, I think one, as Montgomery pointed out, he wouldn't go into the exact specifics, but. He said, I mean, he's getting double teamed a lot more in the running game, which yeah. is what you expect. He's the premier nose tackle. That's what's going to happen. So there hasn't been as many of those one-on-one situations. The Packers, again, are playing him a lot, 83% of the defensive snaps to this point in the season. But that game against Carolina, Carolina tried to block him one-on-one a lot more than a lot of other teams did. And I would imagine going to this game against San Francisco, you're going to see that second guy <laughs> having more attention on him because yeah. whether it was uh, you know their center or Trey Turner, they just weren't able to match up with him, and he was able to be disruptive. He came a little bit short of being able to get an actual sack on the stat sheet, but Pro Football Focus had him down for 10 pressures, which – under their metric and their measurements, that's the most he's ever had in his career to this point. And that's a lot for an interior pass rusher. a huge rusher. amount. A guy who never, who really never lines up on the edge at all. He's always inside. Yeah, and I made this argument in my story, too. The other thing you got to understand, with in terms of just the pass rush, uh, he has two outside linebackers now that are really shifting the hourglass from last season. There are not as many more, uh, opportunities for a 315-pound defensive tackle to be the first guy to the quarterback. Those guys are in that ozone. They are making things difficult, yeah. and it's getting the ball out quick. With my, with the big thing, I think, for, for Clark here down the stretch is going to be if they can, one, find ways to give him some breathers here and there because that's going to be important if they want to play an 18 or 19 game season and also you know figuring out a good balance for when you want to have him out there early on downs or when you want to have him on third downs i think the last few games you started to see them find a little bit more of you know a, a, a balance with all that maybe that's because montrevious adams is back and he seems to have put the shoulder behind him kingsley keekley is pay, playing more the more kenny clark is 24 years old you want to be able to get him out there as much as possible, but I think there is sometimes that, you know, you want to strike something there where you're getting the maximum out of that player every single down, and I think that's one area that maybe at this point in the season, as you get into the month of you know, November and December, late in the year, where you're starting to maybe figure out what that that right number is going to be. Yeah, and we'll see as we go into this uh, San Francisco game here if they do resume the double teaming in the middle on Clark, especially with how they're going to want to run the ball. The bottom line is whether it's Montrevious Adams, Kingsley Kiki, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, if those guys are one on one against the run, they've got to be able to they've got to be able to get off the block and stay in their gap or, you know, keep Blake Martinez and BJ Goodson, Oren Burks, whoever is at the second level, keep those guys clean to be able to make the play. Because yeah, if I mean if you're getting double teamed, then you're helping out a teammate, and then that teammate has to take advantage of that situation. Yeah, and to, to his credit, to Clark's credit at this point of the year, now 10 pressures are going to up his total pressures for the season. So he's at 41. I mean, that puts him in the same conversation with Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox. I mean, those are the high-end elite 
defensive tackles in this league. Yeah. And, you know, there's been kind of this narrative that maybe he's had something to do with the run defense and the issues they've had there. But, man, I mean, one, that's an entire unit. That's not just one specific player. But, two, right. look at what he did when Christian McCaffrey was running in his area and his gaps in that game against Carolina. It's tough to point out stats other than the screenplay that he broke up when he came off his block and ended up chasing him down. It was difficult. It's been tough sledding still for them to get through that area. And a lot of times when it has been, it's been the double team. So it's going to be really intriguing to watch to see where the rest of his season goes. But at 24 years old and the, the snaps that he's had and the way he's played, I just think there's a certain amount of respect you got to put on Kenny Clark's name right now despite some of the issues the defense has had. Yeah, I would, I would certainly agree with you. Uh, one other item to clean up, I guess we could say, from or a leftover item from the bye week, and that is that the nominees uh, league-wide – Every team in the league nominates a player for the annual Sportsmanship Award. And for the second year in a row here in Green Bay, that nomination has gone to Tremont Williams. Um, interesting in a lot of ways that he takes a three-year three year break from playing in Green yeah. Bay and then comes back, and now these last two years he's been uh, the, the Sportsmanship Award nominee, something that uh, that he certainly appreciates. I know he's one of your favorite players to talk to. He's certainly one of my favorite players over the years to talk to. And uh, you can't say enough about just how well he represents himself and his team and his defense and his teammates anytime that he is on the field, and that's what this uh, – award is all about yeah it's the media award will come later in the season and certainly he's always in the running for that as well but I mean in my time on the beat he's one of the guys that I think I've learned the most about the game of football listen to him talk and when you know he's as thoughtful as they get in terms of hearing a question and giving an appropriate response and not just trying to find some quick soundbite to just move on with his day yeah he takes the time and it's also important that that's something that has been reflected in the locker room with his players you know the guys around him he even mentioned this was unrelated to the sportsmanship nominee, but he was asked from ESPN's Rob Domofsky about Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You know, if you can help him out, give him some encouragement as Valdez-Scantling's kind of working through some stuff right now, uh, injuries-wise and production-wise. And he goes on to mention, one, yes, he can. Two, he happens to be Valdez-Scantling's neighbor. And three, <laughs> he mentioned how the reason he thinks guys like that will succeed is the same reason why Jair Alexander has succeeded this league, because when there is an issue and something does happen, those guys go out of their way to ask Tremont questions, how he worked through certain things in his career. What did he do when he felt this way? Because everybody in some regard, even though the positions are different, go through a lot of the same emotions throughout the course of a long career. And Tremont's a guy that has been a resource for players along the way. He joked that, I mean, this must mean I'm just a nice guy. Uh, but <laughs> he also mentioned last year when he went and looked at the nominees for all the teams, the, the class and character that he was put up with, uh, that meant a great deal to him. Yeah. And being able to have his peers feel that he's on that level – he did joke that when he saw that Drew Brees won it and the other guys who were finalists, he's like, yeah, I don't know how I could compare to them. But it is something that I think you saw Julius Peppers when he was here receive it, that nomination. It goes a long way, and I think it just speaks to the type of player that Tremont's been in this place for over 10 years now um, and the kind of teammate that he's always been. Yeah, ultimately with this Sportsmanship Award, there are 32 nominees, one from every NFL team. Eventually that gets whittled down to eight finalists, four from the AFC and four from the NFC. And then is it in that like 
the Super Bowl show. Or the, it's the, in that the, whole the, yeah, the thing. whole NFL yeah. honors the night before the Super Bowl is when uh, when the league wide winner is announced. I think it's pretty cool, though. I will say this, and this has nothing to do with sportsmanship per se. But the fact that Tremont Williams got his first interception of the season against Carolina, and it's his first interception since he came back to the Packers, last year was the now it remains the only season in his 14-year yeah. career that he does not have at least one interception. So he got one in 2019. I know he's looking for more. But when you look at you look at the year-by-year stats, yeah. you know, when you call it up on a computer screen and you look at the interception column and you go down and there's a number in every single column for every single year except for last year. That kind of that kind of impact, that kind of longevity, that's uh, that's really impressive in this league. And it speaks volumes about Tremont too that the reason I I mean, he played half the season at cornerback, so I can't, you know, just say he didn't have his opportunities. But he ended up shifting to safety, a position that he hadn't really played down after down yeah. ever in his NFL career, because that's where the defense was and that's the role they needed him to fill, and he did it. So Tremont Williams is a great one. And when this thing's all said and done, and I know he probably wants to play till he's fifty, but <laughs> uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that I think, in terms of media types, and I'm sure the players that are on this roster now that have been affected by him, he's an all timer. I mean, he's one of a yeah. kind. He and he's a guy that he came in as an undrafted free agent. And every time you talk with him, it's still like you're talking to an undrafted rookie that's just not, I don't want to say happy to be there, but definitely a down to earth perspective that you don't always get with a guy that's been around the league this long. Yeah, he's appreciated every opportunity that he's gotten in this league, both uh, in Green Bay than when he went to Cleveland and Arizona. Now that he's back in Green Bay, there's there's an appreciation level that you hear in his voice almost any time you talk to him. In a fun story, I'll close on this. Rob okay. Domofsky, again from ESPN.com, my former colleague, he even was asking him a separate question about you know Kyle Shanahan's coming in. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for a time, one season with the Cleveland Browns. He asked Tremont, hey, have you ever, you know, did you work with him at all? Was he still there when you signed with Cleveland after becoming a free agent a number of years ago? He said, no, but I'm an old guy, right? Kyle Shanahan was the receivers coach in Houston when Tremont signed as an undrafted free agent back in 2006. I mean, just the longevity you talk about yeah. for him. I, I joked about it on Twitter, the six degrees of Tremont Williams. It's like every coach and player has some yeah. you know, some <laughs> yeah. type of Tremont Con- Williams moment. Connected to him somewhere along the line. And yeah, he started as an undrafted as an undrafted rookie with Houston, and then in the middle of his rookie season, I believe it was November of 2006, the Packers, Ted Thompson, signed him to the practice squad in Green Bay. And uh, other than – and then from – Basically, getting into the lineup in 2007 through 2014, he was a fixture here with the Packers, and now he's back. In a career that someday will have him in the Packers Hall of Fame, and no his doubt hope about it. to have another Super Bowl ring. Yeah. All right. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services on Twitter. He's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. 